Welcome back to One Giant Podcast, hosting on the Overtime Media Network and coming to you live from the Vivid Seats Lounge. And as always, we return this week talking all things New York football giants and taking a look back at the Monday night football matchup with division rival Dallas Cowboys. Before we sink our teeth in on those, Andy, why don't you go broad stroke? You want to gloat about the season series? You're, you're taking the lead on me. I, I, I risked it, and I didn't get the biscuit. Yeah, I mean, I can't pat myself on the back too much or be too happy about taking the victory on that, knowing that it also resulted in a Giants loss. Yeah, listen, I, I listen, you, everyone knows that I was shooting the moon on that one, kind of playing on best-case scenario. And as we do take a, a brief look into this game, because there's plenty to be disgusted by and not a lot to be happy about, I called for a potential Giants victory based around one key element. You even agreed with me on the last podcast. If Daniel Jones were to play a clean game, there was potential there that the New York football Giants could, could pull out a win in this one. And, of course, that was not the case, was it? It wasn't. And, again, Daniel Jones struggling to hold on to the football. Um, one interception, one very costly fumble uh, right around midfield. Uh, both of the turnovers resulting uh, in Dallas points. He threw for 210 yards, 26 of 41. Overall, it just felt very disappointing. I think, you know, we start out the game first, first play from, from scrimmage and Dak Prescott throws an interception. You know, we're inside the 20 and, and we're thinking if we can go up seven, nothing, get points on the board. Um, we're going to be in a good spot. And instead very bland play calling, uh, which I think is going to be the theme for, for this game. And in the red zone settling uh, for a field goal felt like foreshadowing for what was to come. You and I went back and forth a lot during the game in this one. I think that I was doing a bit of a rapid fire in, term, in terms of text messages to you, certainly putting out some, some bulk thoughts that I had. But right there on that opening drive, like you said, the interception, Bethay gets his hands on it. And I, this is a thought that I don't even know if I shared with you at the time, but it very much, I thought it was, whatever it takes, you go for it on fourth down here, you need to get seven. You know, if it was fourth down and you were going to go for field goal, you got to go for seven there because you just weren't going to hold up over the course of this game against the, da- against the Dallas offense that has been so successful. The defense got another turnover in the first half in this one, and still the Giants just could not capitalize on these opportunities. And there's a lot of pieces to this one, but I thought the defense played well enough in the first half to give the Giants a chance to win. And to your point, bland play calling, I think played a huge role. And then offensive line play, was possibly the worst that it's been to this point in the season, I would say. So I thought the same thing on that first possession of the game. It's fourth and goal at the Dallas three, and we settle for a field goal. Mm-hmm. And I, it felt almost like Pat Shermer was coaching a different team. <laughs> like, I, I don't know if he knew the personnel and what our strengths and weaknesses were. Uh, you know, he went ultra conservative taking the points and I get it. You want to walk away with three points on the drive, but every single time we were in the red zone, it felt like a struggle. It felt like we weren't getting creative and we settled for four field goals in the red zone. And, you know, at two and six, you have nothing to lose. You, you, You literally have nothing to lose on the season. It felt like they were ultra conservative play calls. We should have been going for it knowing that the defense 
was going to be struggling and giving up points to, to the Dallas offense. And every time we hit, we kicked a field goal, I just felt the wind fall out of the sails. And like you, and you said it too, number of opportunities in the red zone throughout this game. And I think uh, I mentioned it on the last podcast, my, your, your friend and mine, Doug Norrie has, has so often preached that the numbers bear out going for it on fourth down when you're, especially when you're a bad football team. And I think you're 100% right. You still have Barkley coming off of an ankle injury. It's heavily taped. The offensive line under siege throughout this game. I don't know what the expectations are from Pat Shermer. It wasn't on that opening drive, but there was later in the game when they were in the red zone where they, ran, they did a running play up the gut. The idea that you're not going to go for sweeps to the edge, the idea that you've seen this team have success where they've had Evan Ingram bleed out off the, off the line for end zone touchdowns over the last couple of weeks where Barkley has caught touchdowns out of the backfield. It just seems like, you know, I know you can't go to the well, quote unquote, on plays that are successful for you too often. You know, defenses are going to key in on that when they look at it during the week in practice, but they are successful for you. And the things that you've been bad at, you've been consistently bad at running between the tackles, having Barkley trying with a heavily taped ankle to carry the load for this team. It just seems like Pat Shermer bangs his head against the wall because he wants to prove himself right. He'd rather, you know, he'd rather be right than win a game or rather be right than make the call. That's going to be successful more often than not. And you mentioned it before, you know, I don't want to harp on the, on the coaching decisions and and things uh, too much here, but you talked about getting uh, Saquon into space, Uh, you know, that proved to be successful. You know, Daniel Jones threw threw a little short pass uh, over to Saquon that went for 65 yards down to the Dallas 11, where we settled again for a field goal. And uh, you know, we were down another big turning point in the game there too, right? Huge Huge play. And then you don't capitalize with a touchdown. And it just it, it takes all of the energy out of that series and out of a big play from Barkley, who was having a hard time getting going against this defense. It, it's it's 23-18 at that moment, and we get the ball down to the 10. A touchdown gives us the lead. If we if we get it and we go for two, you know, we're 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 up a t- we're up a field goal at that point. To settle for a field goal, Pat Shermer in his mind is saying, well, if the defense can not give up another point, and we go down there and we kick a, a field goal, we can win this game. And it was just the wrong approach. And, and you know, I've, I've beaten the drum that I think that the defense has played well for us at times. Now, that being said, the thing that they have consistently done is give up big plays. We know that they give up big plays. And as this one got into the fourth quarter and you saw the offense stumbling through the second half, we, we both just started to kind of bleed out on this one. I tried to stay positive as long as I could into the fourth quarter, but it just had that sense of, and you pointed it out, well, this is it. Like, this is the drive right here where Dallas is just going to kind of move the ball down the field over four or five minutes, put up a touchdown, and this is going to be out of reach. When you go inside the numbers for them, you know, Prescott, again, struggled early, but came on late, 22 of 35, 257, three touchdowns after the early pick. Elliott, 23 for 139. You want to talk about an issue on the defensive side of the ball as well, the lanes that Elliott was getting, I mean, they were triple wide. You could have fit two running backs through there if, if it was possible to have guys carry the ball together. That was certainly a concern on the defensive side of the ball because you at least expect, expect us to be stout against that. And, and there was clearly an issue in what I've, what I've been hearing around social media and, and in the game recaps, they're not necessarily pointing to personnel on these issues. They're talking about scheme and play calling on both sides of the ball. I have seen the same things that you have on social media, but I, I have to say, 
the line play for both teams, you can see what an all pro offensive line looks like, what it can do for a running back, the time it can give to a quarterback. Um, and then you can see what a very subpar offensive line does. Gets pushed back in the backfield on first and goal. Uh, the the running back gets contacted two, three yards behind the line of scrimmage consistently. Yeah. The quarterback has five sacks against him and is, is being pressured all night. It, it was so uh, eye-opening to me how much the offensive lines differed in this game. You know, and we talked about it in the preview for this one. I had said that certainly this was a strong offensive line for the Cowboys, but that they weren't seen as the number one offense. They had some injury issues early in the season. And then I took a look at it before the game started, and they're ranked third you know, in offensive line play. So our linebacking core being a very depleted, very thin unit for us. So when those gaps opened up, you don't have a lot of, as they call it, gap integrity from the linebackers to get in there and force Ezekiel Elliott to have to break tackles or to have to really work for those yards. To take a look at some of the stat lines, there was one key play that I think was just kind of the backbreaker and demoralizing, and that was the deep pass where Baker dropped back defensively, and it seemed like it was a combination. I don't know if Baker was both playing the wrong scheme where he was supposed to be in man and he dropped into what looked like a zone. You sent me a great social media breakdown on this. But then as the receiver works his way over the middle and goes deep, Antoine Bethay makes a choice to offer triple coverage on a wide receiver running a go route up the seam as opposed to staying on his side of the field where he actually would have been in a position to at least stop what was a large play for the, for the Dallas Cowboys. So it, multiple, multiple breakdowns in communication on this defense. Yeah, and Shermer's quote afterwards, he obviously wanted to protect his players. I think he's very good at, at doing that during press conferences. He, he really doesn't want to throw anyone under the bus. He, he basically said that there was multiple people that could have made plays, uh, didn't point to anyone, but did actually say that they were supposed to be in zone. So while DeAndre Baker is getting roasted for the uh, illustration that I sent you on social media, how he's kind of just sitting outside, not covering anyone right if they were in zone he was doing the right thing and there was a couple of other hiccups on the inside and then certainly Baker probably because when you do watch the play breakdown basically Baker drops back I'd say 10 and then 15 yards off the line of scrimmage and as his as his initial wide receiver pickup starts to cut through the middle of the field Baker basically hovers out there and I think he could have at the very least started to bite down it back in towards the line of scrimmage that probably would have been instinctually where he should have gone in that zone a little bit but where that route ends up running is someone else's pickup. It could have been Jenkins on the far side of the field who actually stayed with his receiver that ran a relatively short route. It definitely was Bethay who chose to break into a, a man coverage help over the top, like I said. So uh, the, the, the breakdowns are definitely a plenty. And it's been interesting because Baker, again, in this one, gets hit with a pass interference call uh, uh, when he's marking Amari Cooper going down the sideline. Very ticky-tack, just hand-checking. Seems like a terrible call at the time. But Baker is certainly taking his lumps in this rookie season and I think some players on both sides of the ball for the Giants are getting beaten up as young and learning as opposed to the fact that there are also deficiencies across both sides of the ball and you can you can look at you know Daniel Jones now he makes a bad play choice when he he makes a good play call running for it 
But then he covers it up, but he still fumbles it. And that you're going to chalk that up as being a mistake on his part. You want to eliminate those things. But then when you take a step back and say, man, this offensive line has regressed substantially this year, I think that that's a far bigger theme than about a rookie quarterback who's going, on, going through you know, his, his learning curve. Adam, can I vent to you for a second? Oh, please, please man. You haven't had one of these yet. Uh, I, I need to say something, and it may sound like sour grapes, but I need to just say it, and I think this will put a – put, put a, an end of finale to what we need to talk about for the Dallas game. Perfect. But can we talk about how horrific the officiating is and how inconsistent the officiating is this year? I mean, listen, I know in this game it was highlighted by two key plays that just so happened to basically decide the game and just so happened to be on back-to-back uh, series for, for each of the teams. You know, Saquon breaks that big run down the uh, – big pass play down the field – gets down to the 11. There is a key, key play on second and 10 from the Dallas 11 where Daniel Jones tries to throw it to Evan Ingram, and it falls incomplete. Every single replay shows the defender getting into the body of Evan Ingram. Clean, clean through his back. Yep. Straight through his back, then also slaps down in his arm before the, before the ball gets there. Any, you know, Pat Shermer throws the challenge flag, but it's, so I, I heard someone say this the other day. When he throws the challenge flag, it's like, it's like Charlie Brown with the football. Like he, he throws it knowing that he's not going to be able to kick it, right? Like he knows that he's not getting that call, but he's just so angry that he has to throw it, right? And by the way, on the, you know, in post game, a lot of the commentary around the Giants game and overall is they said the referees, the, you know, the referees need to go to head coaches and just say, listen, we're not calling these things. We're not overturning these calls. This isn't what it's about. The rule is only put in play to prevent what happened for, you know, for, uh, in the playoff game last year. That's all we're looking to prevent. In the big games, in playoff times, we're not doing it during the regular season because the Evan Ingram, the Evan Ingram penalty, which was, that's what it was, it was pass interference on the defense, was as blatant a call as you could see, and they didn't overturn it. And then likewise, that Baker call that I mentioned before, I think you very easily could go back and look at that and say, it's just hand checking. You see it throughout the game, but because the flag was thrown, that's what the call is going to be on the field and they're not going to move off of it. And that's the frustrating part is that there's no consistency here. You know, if they, they, the Giants for the challenge flag to say Evan Ingram uh, was contacted before the ball came, every single replay indicates that it was a foul. And right. it would have been a foul if they called it in real time. No one would overturn that the other way. And, you know, the DeAndre Baker pass to Amari Cooper, if we, ch- you know, if Pat Shermer throws a challenge flag on that one, it's not getting overturned, even though every time someone looks at that, they go, oh, it's just a little hand fighting, not, not a penalty. And, and it's, it, it's, it, it is asinine to me that they allow these coaches to throw the flag, like you said. And I think Tony Dungy, who is well-respected throughout the league, Oh yeah, he he lost it on this one, uh, he, right? He, he he went nuts on on Twitter, and you know he's a very mild mannered individual. So for him to come out outspoken and critical of the league is is surprising. And his quote was, "Please NFL, do us a favor and don't let coaches challenge any more pass interference calls. You're causing teams to lose timeouts, making your officiating department look inept, and making us fans feel stupid, like we don't know the meaning of clear, obvious, and significant!" Exclamation point. Wow. Like yeah. He's like, you can't tell me as a fan watching that Evan Ingram play that he was not interfered with. Like, I'm not an idiot. I've watched football my entire life. We all know it. 
Yet when you challenge it, they are too prideful to be able to turn around and say, yeah, you know what? We screwed up. Let's overturn it. And I think everyone's right. Get rid of this challenge of the pass interference call. Make it a booth review. Have someone well, get buzzed. Have the main official get buzzed uh, in his ear or on his side hip and just overturn the call. We don't need five minutes of these reviews that nothing is going to change. Well, and, le- and as we will move on from this, and this actually is the transition out, the Giants lose 37-18 in this one. They give up 21 points in the fourth quarter. It's a rough loss. There's a plenty of things to point to. A lot of the themes that we've seen over the last handful of weeks for them. But to your point about the buzz to the referee, this is something that I, that, that I was thinking about as you were as you were ranting and raving like a maniac, Andy. The, you know, we are fans of football, both American and also European. And it makes me think about over in Premier League football, if anyone follows soccer at all, when there is a penalty, a potential penalty within the 18-yard box, which would be a penalty kick in soccer, all that happens is, is the referee gets buzzed that they're reviewing it. And, he, and he, just, he, he holds the game up for a moment, he waits to hear, and if they alert him that it is a penalty, he points to the spot, a penalty kick is you know, set up, and, and, the, and the game continues on. The, the NFL has always been consistently terrible at rolling out new rules and new functions within the game. The idea that they don't – because you go to New York for reviews on things. That's what I can't figure out. You're already doing it, whereas there's, there's another entity that, that is reviewing some of these big plays in the game. Just have them buzz into the referee and say, pick up even – even on the other plays too, on the Baker pass interference call, if, if someone was going to challenge it or whatever the case may be, just buzz into the referee. You don't have to tell the fans. Buzz in. You know what? Pick up the flag. Huddle together. Act like you're talking it over. It wasn't pass interference. You know what? Go ahead. Throw the flag there for Evan Ingram. It was pass interference. Clearly, you don't want to look like fools. You don't have to tell anybody that we that we buzzed into your ear and go ahead and make the right call. And I don't know why the NFL wants to like hold their breath on these things and trot it out in these weird experimental methods like they're doing right now. Where, like you said, Tony Dungy's right. When you lose when you lose timeouts like this, it impacts games. Not only is it insulting to fans and coaches who, are, who know and players that know their clear pass interference calls that should be happening, it also interferes with late game. You know, the Giants are bad, so we're not involved in these late games. But when you only have one timeout or two timeouts instead of three late in a game, it hinders your ability to save time on the clock and potentially have game-winning drive opportunities. It, it, I, I can't say anything more than that. I, I think you just hit the nail on the head. It should be a very simple buzz somebody, tell them that, to, to overturn it, move on. Don't put the onus on the coaches because a coach is going to see that and say, my guy got interfered with, I'm throwing the flag. And even though everyone in the building knows it's interference, they can't overturn it. So, well, I I do think that it was, it came, you know, both plays came at a critical moment in the game where the Giants had to settle for a field goal. Dallas comes down as we talked, the back breaking touchdown to Amari Cooper happens a couple plays after that pass interference call. And that was pretty much the end of the game there. And I, I think we can transition away from the, the Dallas game. And I, I'd like to talk maybe for five minutes a little bit more philosophically about this Giants team. You know, I was, I was thinking about it, you know, after the, after the Dallas game, not unexpectedly, you know, dealing with a loss. And I felt like we're further away than I thought we would be going into the year. I knew this was going to be a rebuilding year, but it feels like, there is only a handful of players that if I ask you, Adam, who is an absolute must on the roster for next year? I mean, how many names would you roll off? Uh, <laughs> you're catching me at a loss, and that's probably the big concern about, uh, about this 
team as it stands right now because as we look down the line here, we're certainly starting to identify a number of need areas, new need areas that we didn't think we had. And the list of players that you maybe want to see no longer as starters on this roster is starting to grow, right? Yeah, and, and just kind of hypothetically answering the question that I, I was po- posing about who we're thinking about committing to long-term. Well, yeah, so I, yeah, if you want me, it, it, obviously we, we know Barkley's going to be here. We know Jones. We know Evan Ingram. Is, we want to see him stick around. Sterling Shepard is up in the air. Defensively, it's the, it's the drill peppers. You're going to, obviously you're keeping Baker, you know, but Grant Haley is now a question mark. I think moving on from Janoris Jenkins in the offseason makes a ton of sense. And linebacking core is basically a total wash beyond uh, Lorenzo Carter. You know, the defensive line, there's someone's going to move on from there probably. And then to go over to the offensive side of the ball, it's <laughs> – this is where the real issue is. Nate Soldier needs to go. You like Hernandez. I think Jalapio is still a question mark, certainly. Maybe you like Zeitler, but Remmers is also a move on from as well. So you're talking about at least three-fifths of the line that you don't want to have stick around either. I don't know why I, I hesitated to give you my list, but th- that, that's – you know, so you're you're talking about maybe ten – 10 to 15 players that feel like locked in to be on this, that you want to have on this roster. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I like Evan Ingram and we talked about, will we trade him uh, uh, right before the trading deadline? I said, no, he's a young piece and he he's athletic and he's great. But the more I'm thinking about this, the more we have so many other needs and we have so many holes. And, and I keep thinking to myself, you know, he's not the best blocking tight end. And we have a horrific line. And while he is a great player, I don't know if he meshes well with our current setup, right? Yeah, you know, there is that. And that's you and I talked about this a little bit. I've been talking with a lot of Giants fans around this piece because, unto itself, you look at Evan Ingram and think that he's a talent and he's someone you can build around. But can this team build around him? Can this offense build around him? Or would you be better served, whether, especially because he's under contract, trading him, getting back assets, and utilizing that in other areas? Because I think one of the things when you look around the league, and you brought this up on the last episode, offensive line play is the paramount thing. Teams that have average wide receivers or, you know, or below average tight ends who have running backs that they pick up in the third or fourth round of drafts, they are still successful when they have a top five, top 10 offensive line. And no matter what your talent level is around the league, look at, look out in, I was just thinking about Atlanta. You know, I know Matt Ryan was injured, but they've had Julio Jones and they've had Matt Ryan and it hasn't meant anything for them in terms of real sustainable success, deep playoff success. You don't see that happening for them. You can win games, but building at the lines is the first and foremost important thing that any team needs to be doing. And it seems like it's something we knew we hadn't been doing. And maybe we actually still haven't been in spite of, uh, of being tricked into thinking so. You look at Dallas. They have figured out a way to make it work. They have a young quarterback on a rookie contract who is top five in almost all statistical categories for quarterback play this year. Yet nobody thinks he's a top five quarterback, right? And, yeah. and one of the main reasons why is they have a great running game. They finally got the compliment of Amari Cooper to, to give him separation, but it is the offensive line. You look at the Indianapolis Colts who have built their line to their draft. Andrew Luck was getting killed and Andrew Luck had to retire early because he got killed and they didn't address the offensive line for years. Now they have an offensive line. Marlon Mack looks great. 
Jacoby Brissett looks competent. You know, the offensive line can turn average, um, you know, middle of the road people into top talent or appearing to be top talent. And until the Giants really address the offensive line, I think they cobbled some things together, they're going to be in trouble. And, and that's why, you know, right now, if we don't draft an offensive tackle with our top 10 pick this year, I am going to lose it. Yeah, and that's actually it's a nice topic to transition into because I did I did want to touch on the on the I know so it's years away it feels like but the 2020 draft is starting to loom large and it plays a role in terms of what this team accomplishes over the last seven games of the season and, and where we're going to be positioned when it comes to the draft. Before we dive into that, just real quickly, we were talking about wrapping up that Dallas debacle. If you remember last week, Andy and I were taking a look at the betting lines on mybookie.ag. The Giants, I believe, as we have in there, were getting seven going in there. My God, Andy, if you could go back in time and take that bet, you'd be, you'd be living the dream right now. Oh, well, you know what's funny is I saw people talking about the line and, and the spread that they bet on, on mybookie.ag. And What's interesting is even within minutes ago, the Giants were marching down the field. It looked like there was going to be a backdoor cover, but oh no, Daniel Jones fumbles the ball away. And with six seconds, the Dallas team returns it for a touchdown. That was a huge swing and could have gone either way, but certainly, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, exactly. But l- listen, if you were lucky enough to, to kind of play big, and I, if you were watching the Giants in recent weeks, you've seen a lot of these a lot of these over-unders get covered in their games, or the over typically gets taken in those ones. The spreads have been getting covered as well. So whether it's NFL lines, NBA, NHL, Andy got into some real deep dive on my bookie last week. So you know you can get into some obscure sporting events if you want to as well. MLS odds for the cup final are up there right now. So you can head over to mybookie.ag and check it out. And if you join right now, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means that your deposit is of $2,000 gets an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. All you have to do is use the promo code OVERTIME, O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E, to activate the offer. And once again, that is promo code OVERTIME, O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E, to take advantage of MyBookie's generous sign-up offer. You can visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Now, if you were lucky enough to be getting paid off of some of the Giants' mistakes, that's fantastic because they're a bad team, Andy. And bad teams draft high. And to your point that we were talking about here, taking a look at getting that left tackle, when you go into it, there's a couple of players right now that are looked at and considered to be high-end top talent at the tackle position and as we take a look at this draft here right now you know the projections are in there we all know the teams the Bengals, the redskins our upcoming our upcoming matchup this weekend with the jets miami dolphins atlanta falcons are all in the mix there and when you look over some of these guys who who do you see you are identifying two tackles or you said a tackle needs to be a player that gets taken for the new york football giants the only issue you're going to have is is where we position yeah, I mean, I admittedly like Tristan Wirfs because of some of the versatility that you talked about before. We are going to have a need on both tackles, I feel. I, I just don't think that Nate Solder is is the answer um, for us at left tackle. And Remmers, Thanks for coming uh, around on that, Andy. Oh, 
I mean, it's, it's just frustrating. Um, and, and so I, I feel like we have to invest in the offensive line. We haven't invested a first round pick in the offensive line. I think since Eric flowers and clearly he's not on the roster anymore for, for the reason that he didn't play tackle very well, you know, obviously you would never take a center, um, or an interior lineman that early, you can find some of those, uh, diamonds in the rough later in the draft, but offensive tackle is, is a premium position right now. And it's one that the giants look to have a need with. So, you know, that's one area that I would probably focus on. I think, um, we have issues uh, at linebacker that are probably going to need to be addressed. Um, we, although we seem like we've drafted a lot of cornerbacks, it, it feels like we may need another one in, in the upcoming draft. I mean, was there any area specifically that you were thinking that the giants were going to need to address as well? I, I, I do look at the cornerback position and say, I think I assume Jenkins is gone. So you're going to have a need at, at cornerback slash the safety, you know, you're going to need a hybrid player that can kind of move around the field for you. So, you know, if, if you told me that in the second round, it needs to be linebacker or cornerback, if, assuming that you get a tackle in the first round, that probably makes the most sense in the world for me. But again, when you look at this linebacking core, Ryan Connolly, a guy that we really liked the way he was playing for us due to his injury, you don't know when he's going to come back next year and what condition or shape he's going to be in. So you can't rely on him. You assume Ogletree is also going to be gone. You have Lorenzo Carter. You have Lorenzo Carter. You have Lorenzo Carter. You know, there's nobody else really there that you pen in as being on this roster at the linebacker position. So, you know, and you can start to think about free agency as well. But I, I always think building through the draft is, you know, the path to, to long-term success. So those, that second, third, fourth round, if those were three straight defensive, defensive selections, depending on what else you see off, uh, from an offensive, you know, tackle position on the right side, maybe a center, you know, but there's a lot of holes to fill here on both sides of the ball for this team. Yeah, and, and the most frustrating part is we've invested in cornerback with the killer bees. We drafted – Baker, we mm-hmm. drafted Valentine, we drafted Beal. We've tried to make some kind of commitment to, to fixing this issue, and it doesn't feel like it's there yet. And yeah, I mean, this is going to be, you know, if if Gettleman is going to be the one in charge of making these draft selections, which may dovetail us to the next topic, but uh, I think this is do or die time. I think if we don't address offensive tackle and some of these skill positions on defense that um, – we're going to be feeling like it's Groundhog Day next year. It certainly, certainly could be. Now, I think that Gettleman in some ways I think is secure because he can chalk this up to being, you know, what he's saying behind closed doors and what is being said to the public and to the fan base can be, can be two very different things. He may have come in when he took the job and said, this is a total rebuild for us from the ground up, and I'm going to make, you know, tethered moves of bringing in an ogle tree knowing that he rotates out in two years you know bringing in a nate soldier knowing that he's not the answer at left tackle because i know that i need to strip this roster down and build it back up from its bones and i I may just try to do it in a limb by limb mentality as opposed to just opening doing open heart surgery immediately now the other side of this is because we want to go i do i like the idea of just being big picture here the other element of it is it's, it's the pat Shermer part of it and if Pat Shermer is the coach that you want, not just, not just because what he does or doesn't do well, but because you've also tied him now to Daniel Jones, I think that you can remove Pat Shermer. All of the, all of the analysts communicate that they like what Daniel Jones has done. 
They don't like the, those fumbles and some of the decision-making, but everybody chalks this up to being a young quarterback who's learning on the job, and they're fine with it. He still gets rated out. He, uh, to, through the eye test that you and I had touched on earlier in, in the season on our podcast as one of the better rookie options that you've seen this year and shows promise for the future in his career. But who's the coach that you want to have tied to him as well? I don't think that this entire coaching staff as a whole may, may not have the answer that you want to have moving forward. And, you know, do, do you think that Gettleman, who has been a guy that's made decisions that the Giants typically as organization have not made trading players in season making a trade for a crosstown rival quote-unquote with the Jets do you think that he would move on from Pat Shermer at the end of this at the end of this season or in the offseason and look to revamp this coaching staff knowing that you are going into year three of Saquon Barkley and year two of Daniel Jones yes I think it all depends on the next seven games though I know that probably sounds relatively cliche but what are we trying to do the next seven games? Are we trying to win out and try to be a 500 team or try to sneak into the playoffs? Are we trying to develop young players? Are we going to look to take risks and be creative with some of the play calling to go out and win games instead of playing it safe? I, I think that is a huge question of, of the direction of the team and that will dictate how things go. If, if Dave Gettleman turns to Pat Shermer and says, we need to see what we have in Grant Haley, in the X-Man, we need to start playing some of our youth more. Right, Julian then, Love. Exactly. Julian yeah. Love is a prime example. Then the expectations need to change. Then I think we, we shouldn't be as conservative punting the football. We should have a little bit more creativity on offense. And if we lose games, we lose games. It doesn't matter. Do you have any? Do you have any sense? Do you have any sense that Pat Shermer and the way that he's calling these games that that he is? Do you think that he's coaching in a, in a style that is about trying to protect himself from a job security standpoint? We had five possessions inside the red zone, and we settled for field goals on four of them against the Cowboys. And the cons ultra conservative, keep yourself in the game, make it look competitive play was to kick field goals every single yeah. time. I think it was three yards, five yards, five yards, and 10 or 11 yards. So that is the ultra-conservative way to say, well, let's hopefully get in a coin flip with the Cowboys later in the game. And, you know, if we win by field goal, lose by field goal, at least we were a competitive team. I tend to lean on, because you can look around the league and even see bad teams that compete at a higher level than the Giants do. I mean, we're so, everyone would argue that we are a clear-cut, more talented team than the Miami Dolphins. But how many wins, you know, but the Miami Dolphins have one less win than us right now. And they would have the same amount of wins if a 34-yard field goal by the Buccaneers goes through the uprights as time expires. So let's yeah. not have any illusions about where we stand. I, the, my biggest frustration is that, you know, we settle for, for these field goals. We score 18 points in this game. Every time we're kicking a field goal, you if, if I'm the head coach, I'm thinking to myself, we need to get at least 25 points to really be in this game. We need to get 30 points to really have a shot at this. Every time that we're kicking a field goal, it's just lessening the chance of us actually getting to that number. And that that's uh, maybe that's a crazy way to think about it. And maybe NFL coaches don't, but I, I got to be thinking when I'm in the red zone, that field goals aren't going to beat the Dallas Cowboys with a potent offense, the way that they do. And a defense that has been giving up 30 points a game. 
unless you took this coaching staff and got rid of them today and replaced them with a whole new staff and then looked at what this team did over the last seven games, you're never going to know if it's the coaches or the players, right? Like you're never going to be able to figure that thing out unless until next season and it's the same staff and you bring in the new players and you make the new moves and then you'll really be able to compare things. But in terms of this year right now, this really is a chicken or the egg kind of scenario where you cannot determine who should be held responsible for what's going on right now. If you happen to be, I'm going to, I'm going to utilize uh, uh, some internal excitement to pump up the idea that if you are in the area and you want to go over to the Giants Jets game home game for the Jets you can head over to the Vivid Seats app and go ahead and take a look at uh, sections rows seats get the perfect ones that you want to go in and experience the misery you can be miserable as a Jets fan or you can be miserable as a Giants fan I think there's gonna be plenty of things to be disgusted about in this game let's have a cocktail in the parking lot and get sad together in the stadium. Every purchase that you make on Vivid Seats is backed by 100% buyer guarantee, and it's not just the games that you can go to across the NFL, NBA, NHL. You can also go to the hottest theater shows, the biggest concerts. It's all on the Vivid Seats app. You can download the Vivid Seats app today and join the rewards loyalty program where you earn credits back on every single purchase that you make, and you can apply it towards future purchases. And when you do go to buy, New users enter the promo code OVERTIME, O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. That is promo code O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E. That spells OVERTIME. At checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. Now, when you go to this game on Sunday, Andy, after purchasing your tickets on the Vivid Seats app, roll this into what you want this team to accomplish over the rest of the season, given what we talked about looking towards the draft what is the win total that you you want to see this team winning games i my hope and my only one hope in all of this is to see an ultra aggressive and creative team and i say that very simplistically because it is that simple i don't want conservative play calling what are we conserving conserving for what we need to be able to go try to win games when we have the opportunity. We have the ability to take risks because we aren't making the playoffs. We are, we are not you know, trying to make sure that we're battling for a wild card. We have literally nothing to lose and everything to gain. And yes, I don't mind the Giants winning some games down the stretch. I know everyone's just saying, tank, lose every single game, get a high draft pick. I get it. If that happens, that means that Daniel Jones is regressing. He is not playing well. We are not making big plays. He is not standing upright because the line has been decimated. Um, so for me, I want the Giants to be going for it on fourth and short. Uh, anytime they're you know, on the, on the other teams, inside the other team's 50-yard line, I want the team to be aggressive and go for the jugular in every game they play. I would like to see is Pat Shermer give up play calling to Shula because I don't know what Shula is capable of. You know, he's a name. He has a name cachet. I would like to see if you got him at the helm of the offense, if that changed anything for us. And if it does, then maybe you can have Shermer that's looking at a big picture, and maybe I change my mind a little bit about how I feel about him going into the offseason and into next year. Right now, the Giants have a 61.5% chance of earning a top-five pick. Now, I have always been a proponent of if you can win games, you want to win games. It's good for the young players on the team. It's good for morale. You always want to get wins. The fan base likes it even in bad seasons. 
I will say, because of the needs, especially on the offensive line right now, it's such a delicate balance. I think that five wins is still going to keep you in a top seven kind of range. So I can live with them winning the winnable games, which would be this weekend, the Redskins matchup and the Miami matchup. But this is one of the first times as a Giants fan where I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not a proponent of tanking. I don't, and no, by no means I want to see them doing the, the Miami Dolphins model. But I am, I'm going to be okay with it if they lose. Keep ourselves locked into a top pick and getting one of these top talent plug-and-play offensive tackles that we know we need. And currently, there's not somebody on the, on, on the market that you're going into in free agency and getting, by the way. So it is only through the draft that the Giants can cure one of their biggest ills. And I, I feel terrible saying it, but it's one of the first times, like I said, that, I've actually, that I actually am okay with, with losing the rest of the way. The final score really doesn't matter. You just but want to see I, execution. You want to see I, yes, period, I, I, periods of strong execution on both sides of the ball, right? Yes. I want yeah. to see creative play. I want to see flashes of greatness um, from Daniel Jones. I want to be able to see the defense blitzing, getting pressure on the quarterback, making rookie mistakes is fine. But I, I don't understand. We cannot have conservative play calling, try to keep games close, hopefully hit a 50-yard field goal to win the game 13, 17, or you know, whatever it is. Yeah. That, that is not what I want to see from this team because the wins and losses don't matter. Like you said, it's the execution on both sides of the ball, creativity, and aggressiveness. I want Pat Shermer and Shula to look at Daniel Jones on fourth and five and say, we believe in you. Yeah. And those are the types of, of moves and those are the types of things that will bring confidence that can translate into wins next year because – if you put him in more of those high-impact situations now, he is going to be ready for them next year when we're ready to compete or we're a better team than we are now. Fourth and anything under six yards and you're across midfield, you should be going for it. There's no reason, there's no reason not to. And at the, the worst-case scenario of it is you're getting another handful of reps in a game for any of the players on the offense to get better, to learn something, to improve. So we'll go ahead and wrap it up here. We're going to come back, and we'll be giving you a podcast on Friday afternoon, just in time for the drive home heading into the weekend. I took my lumps, Andy. You're officially in the lead in the season series. I knew it was coming, but I had to take the gamble. You know, I, I nailed it with one touchdown, one interception. I was relatively close on the passing attempts. You know, the last drive they created. But it feels dirty, buddy, because you said you said a clean game and the, and the Giants win. It was in your heart, buddy. I'm still going with my soul for the Giants. While you are, I mean, you're on you're on mybookie.ag just drinking the soup. I'm shaking my head. I'm disgusted with myself. As well, you should be, my friend. This has been... One Giant Podcast. As always, follow us on all the social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at One Giant Podcast. And do us the big favor of heading over to iTunes, liking, subscribing, downloading, rating, and reviewing the show. It helps this little operation of ours grow and expand. We've appreciated all the support to this point. Keep supporting us, and we will keep getting bigger. Better, better.